This is the On the Touchline podcast. We're your hosts, Jason Broadwater and Aaron Rogers. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the On the Touchline podcast. In this episode, Aaron and I talk to Dr. Tiff Jones. And if that name sounds familiar to you and you've seen Tiff on major outlets like CNN or other major uh, broadcast outlets, she is a mental health performance consultant uh, and runs her own business working with athletes from all sporting backgrounds. Um, she, has, she is a former uh, footballer and has a, uh, a deep appreciation and passion for the game of soccer, was a coach um, throughout her career. Uh, and Erin, she's actually worked with your team uh, in your program at one time. Yeah, we, we had the pleasure to and the fortune uh, to have Tiff down and, and work with our, our team a few years ago. And, and obviously the impact that she made was long lasting. Um, and and I, had, I had seen her, I had seen Tiff at some uh, NSCAA or now United Soccer Coaches conventions presenting. Um, also, she had done work with uh, University of Florida, and I obviously had worked there with Becky Burley years ago, and, and so Becky kind of connected us, and, and that, was, uh, that was phenomenal. And uh, she just, she's uh, just a wealth of, of knowledge and great human being, which is, which is awesome, and I look forward to, to getting a chat with her. Yeah, I, I've seen her interviews on CNN and other outlets, and uh, absolutely excited for this chat. Um, safe to say, she's a big deal, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can connect uh, with Tiff. Um, you can go to her website. It is X, the letter X, FactorPerformance.com, and that is actually in the show notes. Uh, if you want to go there and check out her work or link up with her that way, and also included a link to her Twitter profile. Uh, as well. Before we get into our conversation with Dr. Tiff Jones, so you can find this show on all major podcasting platforms. And if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast, go there now, leave us a five-star rating and a brief review about the show. And of course, it means the world to Aaron and I if you share the show or a bit from the show out on social media with other coaches or players or people in the soccer and footballing world to help more and more people find out about this podcast. Aaron, if people want to connect with you and follow along with what you're doing on social media, how can they connect with you? At Ohio Soccer Coach. And Aaron's active on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Soccer Coach JB on the same platforms uh, as well. Guys, you're going to really like this conversation with Dr. Tiff Jones. So, uh, Dr. Tiff Jones, for folks in the listening audience that have heard your name or maybe have seen your work on one of the major broadcasting networks, um, tell the audience just a little bit about who you are and, and your background um, and how, uh, you know, I found it really fascinating that, uh, you know, you're very much a footballer uh, in, in yeah. previous experiences, but you've branched out and uh, working with a, a number of athletes. But uh, yeah, tell the folks just a little bit about you. Sure. Um, I played college soccer at uh, William Smith College with the great uh, Hall of Fame coach, Alison Wilbur, who has the most wins right behind Nielsen Dorrance, um, winning as female 
head coach um, in college soccer. So that was pretty amazing experience. And then from there, I went and got my master's and my doctorate from Springfield College in sport and performance psychology. And I've been doing this ever since, which is uh, being a mental performance consultant. And what that means is working on the, um, the physiological and psychological aspects of performance and helping coaches and teams and athletes from professionals all the way down to the youth level um, reach their excellence um, using, you know, the ex-science piece and the psychology piece of performance. We talk a lot on this podcast, uh, Tiff, about um, those elements, right? And that the, mm-hmm. the psychological, um, and, and I'm so thankful that, you know, in 2020, that we're actually talking about these things out in the open, right? These aren't um, sort of, uh, you know, secret conversations anymore and that we tend to, Mm -hmm. you know, especially with athletes that I coach, they're very open. And I think part of our jobs as coaches is being able to read, I call it reading the temperature of the room. And Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit, I guess, uh, you know, why is that so important in terms of making that connection with an athlete to understand where they're at mentally and how that could actually be impacting their performance uh, on a field, you know, on an ice rink, a basketball Mm -hmm. court, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very, very uh, complex question to throw out right away. (laughs) Uh, I was just down at the champion soccer clinic down in uh, the Mohegan Sun. And it's crazy because there's all these coaches from all different levels, but a lot of youth coaches. And the number one thing is they just thank me for the information because coaches are not getting fired and and are struggling due to the X's and O's. They're not getting fired because they don't know the X's and O's. They're not struggling with parents because they don't know the X's and O's. They're struggling because it's how to develop, like you said, the relationships with kids, with the athlete, and how do you teach these mental skills or the psychological skills that sometimes are basically what we're talking about is life skills. And how do you help them build that foundation so that you can teach them the game of soccer or you can teach them sports. And until we build that foundation, it's virtually impossible to see the execution that everyone is dying to see or these results, these so-called results. And so again, it's, it's teaching coaches like how in the, in the game, within the game, using the game as a teacher, how do you teach them adversity and how to recover from mistakes? And I mean, everyone has negative thoughts and doubt, everybody. It doesn't matter how long you've been playing or what you've done. It's human nature to have doubts and fears and um, to, to struggle with um, thinking too far in the future, thinking to like keeping it in the past. Like wh- how are we not teaching kids at a very young age? And I mean, look at our youth development model for soccer here in the States. And we're not really starting to talk about the psychosocial emotional for what age 15, like everyone's like, when do you, when should you start? I said, as soon as they're playing the sport, you know, like we're teaching them these things in school or we should be. Why are we waiting in sports to teach them these things? What do you think? What do you think? So we're talking about, obviously, if you wanted to start earlier, what would be the first thing that you would do with a group of young people? I don't know. What, what's the youngest? I mean, how, how young do you go? I mean, when they start, start out at U6, U7, or maybe when they start to emotionally develop a little more as a, mm-hmm. what is it called, tween? right before the teens, you know, preteen. I mean, when do you start your kids on having good manners? When do you start teaching them your kids about saying please and thank you and picking up after themselves and how to receive feedback from you as a parent in terms of, hey, you didn't do a good job cleaning up your room? So immediately. And I think one of the biggest things we can do is start reteaching what the difference is between failure and learning and that learning is not executing and 
and making mistakes. You can't control execution. And these kids today are so paralyzed by fear, fear of not being good enough, fear of making mistakes, fear of not being perfect, fear of not, you know, executing the way that everyone thinks they're supposed to be executing. And I tell them all the time, I feel for this generation because they're in straight jackets virtually. We, we don't allow them to color outside the lines, so to speak, because if they don't color within the lines, they're not getting a college scholarship. They're not going to make it get even into college. They're not going to make it into the best elementary school. It's, it's right away. And I think as coaches, we need to do a better job of um, rewarding and promoting, taking risks, striving for excellence. Like what I call is, is getting in the blue zone and having that blue zone mentality. And then the execution and the risk and this whole potential word that I hate, like what is potential? If everything goes perfectly, you'll reach this. No, mm -hmm. excellence is in your control. And I think those words and changing those words as coaches, when, when we get them when they're young, can really go a long way um, for their development and especially their psychosocial emotional development as they you know, go through the years of sports. Yeah, failure, the difference between failure and learning. Mm -hmm. you know, that's something huge to unpack right there because yeah. I think, you know, cause we talk about it with our teams as you coach with the, with, with whatever age group you talk about, you say, you're going to, you're going to make mistakes, you know? Mm -hmm. So what would be, what would be something key to focus on then so they can understand the difference between, cause I mean, they're going to, a mistake is a, is a, what is a micro failure maybe? Is that what, how you would say it? Or I, mean, I, I won't even call it a failure. I yeah. think if, if you're taking a risk, you're going to not execute all the time. And I think some of it is a coach is it that we're, we're failing them and they don't even understand what we're saying. Mm -hmm. Are they struggling with applying the understanding mm -hmm. or are they struggling with the fact that they're just not executing? Like it mm -hmm. could be on us. And so um, right away as coaches, it's putting them in like a practice or a drill and we don't care what it looks like. We've got to stop caring so much about what the practices look like because coaches' are, identity is wrapped up in the performance of their team. And you got to separate that out. You can be a fantastic coach, and depending on what side of the bed they wake up in the morning, they can be a holy hot mess. So, I mean, if you're going to define your success as a coach based on your team's performance, you are in a lot of trouble as a coach. And for me, I like watching practices that are terrible in terms of execution because I want to see how they struggle, how they adapt, how they communicate, how they help their teammates out, um, what happens with their body language. Like, do they keep giving 100% of what they got? Those are the standards that we should be gauging um, performance off of. You know, we – and sorry, I don't cut you off, Jason, because I know you no. want to get in. But I'm, <laughs> I'm like, no, go ahead, I love but, it. But – so – so you talk about, and I know obviously you, you've been able to come and work with us and it was, it was awesome. And, and, uh, and I gained so much about it and I want to, I know we'll get to that blue zone cause that was such a massive part of, of who yeah. you are and what you, what is a foundation of you. But so you talk about seeing this practice go awry and how do people react? How do coaches react? How do the players react? And, and so it's such a big word is resilience and every player I think if you threw that, oh, yes, I, I'm resilient or I want to be resilient. Mm -hmm. How would you define that, that word in that training or game setting? When you start to go negative or you start to have doubts or you start living in your past mistakes or you start thinking too far in the future, like what if I suck? What if I'm not good enough? What I, 
It's how quickly do you recognize and admit that you're not in the place that you should be focused on thinking because your thinking then controls your emotions and your emotions then impacts your biomechanics and your cognitive processing on the field or in sport. And so how quickly do you recognize, admit, and then do you have the house? Because that's always the thing I think we're not teaching the kids is they recognize, admit they're not in the right headspace. They're in their head, so to speak. And they don't have the house and to fight out of it. But resilience is being the, having the ability, recognize and admitting, and having the ability to fight like heck to get back into the proper mindset, which is present focused and process focused. Yeah, I, I was, it's interesting that you mentioned the how, because I was listening to a podcast the other day about, uh, forget the sports scientist's name, but it was about motivational interviewing. And it was something mm -hmm. I had never heard about. And he was talking specifically about, everybody talks about the why, why do I do this? What my inner passion, mm -hmm. but he said exactly what you just said, the how let's get the why, but then let's mm -hmm. really, really uh, focus in on the how. So I like right. that. That's, that, that's really good. Tiff, I heard something um, recently that I think very much uh, applies to what we're talking about, um, you know, on this show. Um, so we, we talk a lot about physical fitness and being in mm -hmm. peak, you know, physical form. Uh, but again, from another podcast, uh, like Aaron mentioned, about mental fitness. Why is that important in 2020? <laughs> Well, it's probably always been important. Um, it's just, I think, I think we had a little bit more life skills, foundational life skills. Um, I think a lot of it, you've heard me probably talk about before, is technology and our brains are muscle and our brains don't have to work as much. So I think when you used to get us as kids, as players, we had at least a little bit more training in the life skills. And so then you were dealing more with the mental toughness pieces of the mentality in sports. Um, I think kids now really are struggling with just life skills, like coping skills. Um, understanding how their thoughts impact what they feel, which impacts their performance. Um, we, they, a lot of times our kids are giving their power away, like you make me feel, or coach made me feel this, or, you know, and it's trying to get them to understand that they can actually take that power back. No one can make you feel anything. Um, and then, and giving the tools of how to do that. But I think it's so important. I mean, you can't trick physical. So if you don't have the physical fitness, it doesn't matter how mentally tough you are. But if you are physically fit and you've done the work and you've put in the time, well, at the higher levels, especially, it does become a, the, all a mental game. So because around you in sports, so much is out of your control. Can't control the refs. You can't control your coach. You can't control the, the fans. You can't control the other team. And the other team and coach is, are literally their job is to jack you up as much as they can. Like their job is to make your life miserable. And so the mental fitness is so crucial because in sports, unlike school and academic where you have a lot of control over it, you know, if I put in this amount of work and study this amount of time, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get this. Well, you can put in all that work and time in sports and get nothing, nothing that you thought you were going to get. And so there's so many elements in sports that are out of your control. And uh, so the mental piece is so critical in, in terms of how do you deal with the unexpected or the expected that becomes the unexpected. So... I, absolutely. I, I love what you said there uh, about the uh, expected that might become uh, the unexpected. Um, something that I, we ask coaches from time to time, Tiff, why, do you, why did you want to do this? Uh, and what inspired you, um, maybe from your playing days or, um, you know, as you're finishing up uh, college or, or whatever, you know, what kind of drew you in this direction professionally? So 
this is a good lesson for parents a little bit as well. Um, <laughs> I was told very early on by my parents that I was not going to be a professional athlete, that I really sucked. And uh, I was a great high school athlete. I, I eked out everything I could in college and was a really good college player. And um, But there was no way I was going to go play professionally. There was no way the national team was on the scope. And so by sophomore year in high school, I realized I love sports. But my parents also told me I was not smart enough to be a doctor, like an MD doctor. So um, it's funny because people laugh at that and they're like, I can't believe your parents told you that. But by them telling me how sucked, uh, that I sucked at things allowed me to realize what I was good at. And they didn't blow smoke. They didn't lie to me. Um, they didn't tell me if I believed it, I could achieve it. They were like, well, first of all, you got to have the baseline ability to even potentially get there. And so because I didn't have one fast switch muscle fiber in my body, um, pro sports is out. And I love sports and I love the mental part of it. Um, I was always like the captain or the leader and, and I always found people fascinating and I loved human behavior. And I was the dorky kid who was up in the, with the parents rather than the kids because the parents were talking about higher level problems with adults and I wanted to be in the mix of it and, and learn. And, and that was my passion from the beginning. So uh, it was perfect. What a great blend. Um, and back in the day, my dad went to um, Walden's bookstore which was oh, yeah. before pre pre Barnes and Noble. Yep. And I, I, yeah, I remember Walden. You know what? Walden, yeah. And my dad bought me a book. Um, and it was by a guy who actually lived in Connecticut where I grew up. And back then, um, authors put their phone numbers in mm. books. And so I called uh, Dr. Shane Murphy and was able to talk to him my sophomore year in high school and ask him a bunch of questions. And he was one of the primo and still is one of the primo sports like out there and had worked with Olympic teams in the 80s and 90s. And he, he gave me the idea that this could happen, that this could be a career. So I'm very thankful. It was kind of a perfect storm. So That's awesome. Um, I love that. Uh, I, I love the honesty that your parents, uh, <laughs> you know, I, maybe it didn't make yeah. sense at the time, right? Um, right. Uh, but my wife and I talk about that all the time with our own kids of, you know, there has to be a, a healthy sense of reality, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think we live in a world now, largely, where it's sort of manufactured and people want everything to be perfect. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be, you can be anything you want to be. Maybe, mm -hmm. right? But I mean, it, I think it has to be, and I think this goes back to being able to read the temperature of the room. Mm -hmm. I, I know what my kids are good at and I know what they're bad at. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know what I was good at as a student and I know what I'm bad at. Um, so why not encourage the things that they're good at and just build mm -hmm. from a place of strength versus trying mm -hmm. to put a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. Um, and I think that mimics what we should be doing on the field too. I think some of our strengths early on are always our strengths, right? And then we focus so much today on the things that are limitations that our kids, especially because they live in this very perfectionistic fear of failure world, I'll, I'll literally sit and go, can you give me your top three strengths? Not what I'm better than at you at, or Aaron is better at, just me, just my top three. What is, what are my superpower? What is my package deal, especially in college that allows you to still play college soccer? And women struggle big time. They maybe can come up with one or they'll go, well, you know, sometimes every Tuesday, every odd year, that's not a leap year, I can do this. And I'm like, that's fantastic. Way to, way to own that. And men struggle too, but men will have more bravado. Like they'll be like, what, I can only give you three. But that's all show. Like that's a show thing. Yeah. And so my thing is, it's also teaching them to be able to identify and celebrate and recognize what they're good at, especially with our females, our female athletes. 
And, and yes, it doesn't mean I don't want you closing the gap on the things you're not good at, but you know what? Like if you look at a Messi, Ronaldo and Alex Morgan, what they were good at when they were 18, 16, is probably still their go-to strength. One of the things that, uh, you know, you have such an unbelievable manner in presenting to teams and in your, in your, uh, your speaking engagements. And, and that's kind of down to, what our strengths are, you know, and I could probably be an accountant. I would be terrible at it <laughs> and I would hate it, but I could probably right. do it. Yeah. But this is, goes back to, would I be enjoying what I do on a daily basis? And I think, you, you know, talking about what you said about the top three, three things that you're good at, you know, because we do, we do do that a lot. We say, well, you, you're bad with your left foot, so go spend time on your left foot. Well, at the same time, maybe you can smash up or 90 shots every time with your right foot. So keep doing that. Keep honing <laughs> that in and getting that better and better and better. And so, no, right. I think, I think that's, that's good. And, you know, and, and then, you know, talk about – I know this is a little bit different tangent, but I think about how you, you motivate and how you get your message across to teams because it's such a unique way to do it because you are so welcoming, but you also have that very, I don't want to use the word transactional side, but you have that transactional side when yeah. you, when you do those, those um, activities, so to speak. Yeah. I'm different one-on-one -on -one than I am in front of a group because I can't let anyone wiggle out of that group. So no. I'm tough as nails. I'll care about them, but I'm going to speak truth and hold the mirror up. And I tell teams all the time, you're probably not going to like me at the end of this. And I don't need you to like me. I just need you to listen to me. Um, but one-on-one -on -one sessions are a lot different because that's where you can relate to that right. human and what that player and that human needs from you in that moment. And so I can absolutely adapt in the one-on-ones, but I'm tough as nails in front of the group because I can't have anyone in there wiggling away from me. So no, but they, but you know, they, they learn so much through that, that group environment. And if we're here as a team and you're trying to, to be successful as a group and grow together, you mm -hmm. can't have one person wiggling out because then mm -hmm. they lose that trust and that relationship. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's got to be a, a foundation and a bedrock of any group. But, you know, you talk about relationships and you talk about connecting. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about, this is a bit of a plug. I know it's going to be a bit of a plug, but talk about a little bit about the disc and the disc mm -hmm. in sport and how that helps us, A, understand a little psych social of people, but also yeah. how it helps them in the environment where they're, has, where we have stressors all around us at all times. So I've been working with um, a company called Athlete Assessments, and what they've done is they took um, the DISC, which has been around for a long time and has been used in corporate sectors forever, and they made it specifically for an athlete DISC, a coach DISC, and a sport manager DISC. And so it's very specific to athletics. And um, what I love about it is that it's all behavioral. Um, it's not personality because it's basically like, yo, I was born a jerk. Take it, <laughs> you know, suck it like I'm a jerk. And I'm like, well, you might be a jerk, but that doesn't mean you have to behave like a jerk all the time. And so what I like about behavior is that there is no perfect profile. There is no right or wrong. You need everyone. You need everyone's kind of behavioral styles in order to be successful. But it also helps teach, like, un understand that you can adapt 
And I don't want you adapting from your, what we call your natural style, what you are under heat, heat of the moment under pressure. I don't want you having to adapt too long from your natural style too much because it will put stress on you and you won't be good. That would be like an assistant coach, head coach. If the assistant coach is trying to do things they're not very good at um, behaviorally and because the head coach needs it, I would have to sit with the head coach and say, hey, is there any way that we can let them do some of the things that they behaviorally are really good at? Um, because this is really creating a stress and it's not going to be joyful to work when you have to adapt that much. So um, I love it. Uh, it's a DISC. You are all four letters, one to a hundred, you would get scored in. Um, but typically we're looking for your top two, um, especially when you're just initially working with a team. And then that, what that does is it starts to help us have conversations about how these different types of behaviors are motivated, communicated, what their fears are. And really what I love is what happens when they are under pressure and stress in a performance setting. So what I would call their red zone. So what you can do is the Ds, for example, are dominant, direct, results driven. They're kind of the Bs and the Bs of a team, if you know what I'm saying. And they're the ones that are just like, give me the freaking ball and get out of my way. I just want to win. And what I'll say is when they are under pressure and stress and in their red zone, a lot of times what the behavior you're going to see from them is lashing out, blaming, and making excuses. Well, that can be very hard for a team to receive um, for obvious reasons. Like they're great when they're playing well and then they're not playing well or they're not getting the ball or they're not scoring and they lose their ever loving minds. Well, what that helps teach everyone is like, hey, that's a D and they're red. It does not excuse bad behavior. We'll deal with that afterwards. But that's not about you. That's about them being in their red. So choose not to let it affect you. And so that really starts to help. And then we can start to help that D when they're in the red behave differently because that is not helping their team perform better. Um, but it also helps the team not take it personally. And that's kind of what the power of this whole behavioral assessment is. And then how I've kind of linked it into performance world. Well, everybody is um, all four. That, all four. But, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm just an I, remember? I'm just an I. Well, even you, you might have a one or a two. You're not void of the other. But you I'm, are. I'm just a yellow bar graph, straight up. Everything yeah. else is down there. And if anyone wants to know what Aaron is, you probably won't have to guess. The I is the circus monkey, the, yeah. is the team, the party in the box. Like, don't need music or cake or ice cream. He's just Aaron. That's all you need to yeah. have fun. And um, they're great when they're on task, but they have short attention spans and a little bit of lack of follow through. So you can imagine <laughs> having a coach as an I, how funny he is, but he better have a C. Or someone who's reining them in, let me tell you, yes. as an assistant. I do. I have figured that out in my old age. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely, I definitely need that. And, yeah. and, and, and as a coach too, and I think you, you talked a little bit about um, the red zone and then obviously you have the green zone where you're just kind of chill. Yeah. yeah, chill, happy-go-lucky, no problems, and how do you find that balance? And yeah. and I think even as a coach, I find myself too, because you mentioned something earlier, you, you, you know, thinking controls emotion, and mm -hmm. so many times, even in a game, or because obviously in games, we don't have as much impact as we do in practice, because you can stop it and, you know, recreate, yeah. and so... I know that... That's why you should be sitting down, Aaron. I try. I do. I really do. I I'm, I'm getting a lot better at it. You and, are getting better. And so I, I, we played last night at Ohio State, and it, okay. it, we didn't, we didn't do the result wasn't very good. 
Um, but there's a lot of things. It's spring soccer, a lot of things going into it. But I caught myself in the game thinking too much, and then I became emotional in my own head, you know? Yep. And so I'm yep. like, I got I to gotta, I gotta stop thinking and try to try to create or have ideas to share with the players before they go in or when they come off or at halftime, you know? So what you did is something called, like we think there's three different types of thinking. So you can be negative, which we know is detrimental to performance because it's going to create tension and tension is never good. It's always debilitative. Um, blue zone is feel, you can feel pressure. Pressure is different than tension. Um, pressure can be the adrenaline and it can be a good, like great. And it's process oriented. It's you know, focused, all that. And that's what I would call neutral thinking. So you really can be positive, negative, or neutral. And it's sometimes hard to be positive. Let's be real. Like I like positive affirmations, but I usually use those like pregame or, you know, throughout your day. But when you're in the middle and you've had three bad touches, it's really hard for you to be like, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm so good at this game. Like I'm the woman, like, here we go. Like, it's really hard to be kumbaya positive, even if a coach or someone says, hey, you're fine, you're good, they want to punch you in the face. So positive doesn't work. I need what you did, which is neutral. So what is something, there is no like negative or positive to it. It's just fact, it's process, it's in our control. And that's what you were doing. But in order to think neutral thinking, which is blue zone, you do have to wrangle in, you can't be in red. If you're in green, just, you know, giving up and in la la land, that's not going to help. But that's a perfect example of like, okay, I can't, this is not good. So what kind of information can I give that's neutral to my players right now? Because that is what they can control and it's present and it's process and it's focused. It's awesome. What, so this happened to me last night too. And we all have played. <laughs> and co- session for Aaron. Just, but it's so, but so co- every coach that listens to this will understand yeah. what I'm okay. going to ask right now. Okay. So this is okay. not just about me. It's about everybody because okay. we're okay, all, sh- we all share these emotions Thanks for all of us. Okay. Um, <laughs> so <clears throat> how long after a game do mm-hmm. you, what would your suggestion be to, address or hmm, regurgitate what happened in the game because we're emotional you know and then I went back and watched the whole game today and I cut it up and everything and I'm like "Eh, it wasn't too bad bad bad. (laughs) exactly exactly so I'm a big journal person now like I don't care men women I don't care the age I don't care if you're sick like we got to get it out of our heads and what happens is the kids and yourself maybe some coaches some coaches are pretty good at brooding for like 48 hours and don't touch the cell phone but they're going to go right on their cell phones. And as soon as they go on their cell phones, their memories and their feelings and their thoughts about the game are tainted by whatever happens afterwards. So I'm an immediate, like, sit down and write. I always have them answer five, five questions. Like, what were you thinking during the game? What were you feeling? What were you paying attention to? Like, were you focused on the past, present? Were you focused on the crowd? Were you focused on the bad refereeing? Like, where was your focus? Um, what did you well? What didn't go well? And how does that relate to either this game, past performance or future performance? Meaning like, what can we pull from this? Because I like, there's a four minute clip from Kobe Bryant that talks about failure and it's awesome. He's like, listen, there is no such thing as failure. Unless here's when you just stop or you give up. As long as you like kept fighting, which is what he was saying to get in the blue zone, it's never failure. Um, and he said, is if you don't eke out the information from the game, like take advantage of the fact that you didn't execute or so whatever you're going to do in the future, then that's not failing. And that's not a failure to digest it because we, it is an emotional game. And even if you were in your blue zone, um, you weren't in the blue zone the whole time. So if you're in the red, everything's going to look negatively. Everything looks like it sucks. 
everything feels like it's terrible. And so for me, it gives you time, it gives the players time, but reflect right away. You could even take what they write and read it overnight. Because we have to remember what you are seeing is behavior. You're seeing, you're seeing the product on the field. That doesn't tell me the why and it doesn't tell me the how to fix it. So when I was down at the champions thing, I had a, a group, I did a field session um, for them and I had brought players out and we went through a whole series of cognitive activities, some with a ball, some without. And I had, I was mic'd up, but I kept holding the mic up to the players' faces. And I just kept asking them, what are you thinking right now? Or what are you feeling? And then what are you thinking? And you should have heard these girls, middle school girls, super high level team in Connecticut. And it was mind blowing. Like mind blowing. I didn't try to fix them. I couldn't fix them until they told me what they were thinking and feeling. I only saw the execution or lack of execution. And I only saw the behavior that didn't give me enough information to help them with the house. And before you know it, they forgot that there was like a thousand coaches watching them. They forgot that they were answering in front of everyone and they were just focused on me. And it's not because I'm a soccer coach. Like I kept telling the soccer coaches there, I'm not trying to be a soccer coach. I'm trying to help them with the psycho, emotional, social aspect. And I'm trying to give you a vision of how to incorporate this, but it's amazing how much, how they got better and how they start problem solving. And then afterwards I asked them if they liked the session and they're like, we loved it. And I was like, what was different about it? They're like, you let us play. You didn't try to fix us all the time. You didn't tell us we made mistakes and we already knew we made mistakes, but then you didn't, you, you, you helped us actually fix them by asking us those two questions. Like that is what's so powerful. And so for me, having them answer those five questions will give you so much information. So you might want to go batshit crazy on them and there's no need to because they're already killing themselves in their head anyway. And in fact, like you need to actually have a different conversation with the team than you want to have initially after. And then you knucklehead coaches go back and you always say to me, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I'm like, no kidding, really? Yeah, Shocking true. how that is because you get so stuck in the score. Yeah. And your ego and the execution equals your ego. And I'm sitting there laughing at you guys because I'm like, this is awesome. This is giving it's spring soccer. It is giving you so much information. Mm. Isn't it awesome? So that's all I see it as is this information. Yes, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Question yeah. mark. No, it's good. It is good. It is good. But I mean, like I, I just so so philosophically, my mission statement to our players is what you what you do doesn't define you it's not who you are you right. know playing soccer you're scoring goals or not that's not defining you as a human mm -hmm. and and i i have to practice what i preach if i have to do the same thing every day i have to tell myself gosh if if our team's not winning every game that doesn't make me a bad human being i still want to treat right. people with with kindness you know whatever so mm -hmm. I, I'm I kindness whatever i'm trying I <laughs> I'm empathetic, whatever. There's <laughs> <laughs> no one who's really empathetic, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, Tiff, so I, I'm, I've always been fascinated by um, the preparation piece of leading up to a match or leading up to a game. And when I was a player, um, I tend to um, want to be by myself and want to sort of isolate myself from the team environment. And um, you know, had guys on our team, various teams I played on that wanted to play music and were more of like the hype guys, whatever. I prefer, you know, this was sort of pre-iPhone and pre-earbuds and everything like that, um, to just kind of zone out and kind of be by myself, a quiet space, you know, whatever. I also like to play games in my head before I actually played them. 
So what would I do in this situation? Um, what would I do if I encountered this part of a match or a game playing other sports? Mm -hmm. And I guess um, my question leads to, th this would be more for players. What are two, three, however many you, you know, think are, are necessary or easy to remember, um, things that they could do as players in terms of their pre-game or pre-training preparation that allows them to get the most out of themselves? So kind of, you think a simple question, but it kind of has some layers to it. The first thing is what you want might not be what you need. And so I wanted to listen to pump up music, but I was already scaling in or skewing into the red zone. And so I would actually have to listen to classical music because that helped me go and not waste energy and not be overly amped and all that. It's not what I wanted, but it's what I needed. Um, and so it also ties into also the disc assessment is, um, you know, the eyes are circus monkeys. Like if I told them to sit still and not be able to jam, like they're usually you're like jumping around, interacting, and that doesn't mean there shouldn't be a component maybe the night before or something where they might go through what you were calling, which is imagery, where you start to go through, um, you know, the what ifs. And it, maybe you're not someone who in your mind can do it. So I always say, write down all the things that could go wrong. I know that sounds crazy. And all the things that could go right. And how are you going to respond to those? So some people like are going to want to write. Some people can sit in their own thoughts. Um, I just need the thinking. Some, some athletes will, like I said, will write, but journal. Something that I've started doing with teams is called the shitty, or you can call it the shoddy first draft, um, which is basically we create a story in our head of how something is going to go. And this generation of kid usually goes into the blood, guts, gore kind of story. Um, and in that becomes your insecurities, your fears, and um, our worst case scenarios. And by admitting it and getting out the, the, the shoddy first draft or whatever you want to say, um, it allows you to take some ownership over it. It also allows you to fact check. So if you're like, oh God, if I make any mistakes, coach is going to pull me out of the game. It kind of allows you to go to coach and say, hey, I'm having these thoughts. Can we talk through these? Um, and so that's something. So one, it could be, again, just journaling or writing um, all the things that could go on and how, how you're going to respond to that as an individual. Like what if you don't start, like how are you going to respond? What if uh, you're a goalkeeper and they score on, score on you early or score on the team early? How are you going to respond? Like, what are your things that you can do? Um, the, the, the shoddy first draft is one that is, is really good um, to get out. Um, again, knowing whether or not you need to listen to certain music. Are you someone that needs to be hype guy? Um, but understanding that some teammates aren't hype guys and you got to leave them be. Some guys read. LeBron James reads fantasy novels and stuff before he plays because it allows him just to go to a different place because, of course, if he starts thinking about the game too early, he tenses up or he wastes energy with adrenaline. And so I've had athletes who pray or read the Bible. I've athletes who do work, but if you're going to do your homework, make sure it's not something that puts you in the red zone. Like it should be like, I don't know, flashcards or something that's pretty simple that it doesn't take a lot of your, um, you know, brain power to do. So these are all just examples of ways um, you want to be in the green zone as long as you can. And so you have to transition into laser lock and focus. So, you know, the errands of the world who walk into breakfast at 8am when you don't have a game till seven and he's like, it's game day people, we're talking game day. And I'm like, what are you doing? It is way too early to be wasting and doing anything. So some of like the kids who don't play until seven or my, my national team players, like they might go shopping. They might, might watch a Netflix binge on They might, you know, do anything to bob and weave so they can just be relaxed as long as possible or in the green zone. Um, and then I have athletes, I would say stay off your phone. 
because anytime you're on your phone, your cortisol levels go up 80%, which is the stress hormone. And so they think they're distracting themselves. And in reality, they're actually putting themselves in the red zone. And then they get to the game and they're exhausted because their brain has been going so much. So that, that would be a no-no. Um, the other things are awesome. How the heck do we get these young people to stay off their phone before the game? <laughs> hey, hey, parents, don't give them a phone until they're 12 and then teach them yeah. how to manage their minutes. How about that? Oh, listen, we, my son's 13 and just got a phone and he's struggling to figure out how to manage the minutes. Put, put, the, put the, the two hour block on it. Oh, we do. On social media, he's not locked out. Screen time, man. That's Parents awesome, best isn't it? friend. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Hey, the, the phone is the modern day car keys. So uh, yeah, true, mm. true. So Tiff, I wonder about um, you know we we've heard coaches from time to time, and I think part of our angle as a podcast is really to uh, you know to talk about the the psychosocial aspect of the game. And but what if a coach and I've heard coaches and you know people that I know locally say. It, this is about the X's and O's. I don't give two, you know, flying bleeps about how they feel or how they don't feel or, you know, whatever. What advice, I guess, would we give or would you offer, um, you know, to a, a coach who might be skeptical to say, yeah, they're just players, right? They, I, you know, I put them in a position to succeed or fail. That's on me. Um, I don't care how they're feeling, if they've had a good day, bad day, and that are really uh, you know, sort of pushing back to this notion of paying attention to, you know, the psychosocial side of the game. Truth, get out of coaching. That would be my first thing. And two, mm. like, I guess you don't want to win or you don't want to have consistency or you don't want to develop players. Um, give me a teacher any day of the week. I don't care if they know X's and O's. Give me a teacher who can teach. Um, they're going to be better than a coach who just knows X's and O's. So this is a people business. We're dealing with humans and people. And the big part of people is our psychosocial emotional. So for me, I struggle with this because if you don't want to deal with that, this is the wrong line of business. I'm, I'm sure. And it's even gotten more right, Aaron, like you're probably playing part therapist half the time, um, <laughs> yeah. whether, whether you want to or not, because that's what they need from us right now. They're not equipped with the skills when they come at 18 to 22 years of age. And our job is to try to develop whatever skills we can so that they can be coached and, you know, reach their excellence in soccer. But, um, it, it, it's also fascinating to me, guys, is the only position that works with athletes is the only one not trained to work with athletes. Mm. Um, so if you think about it, I'm trained in pedagogy. I'm trained in, in how to teach. I'm trained in, in all these different areas. Um, athletic trainers, sport physios, um, nutritionists, all these people go to school and they're working with athletes. And the most important position that works with the athlete the most has not gone to school to and studied how to coach they tend to coach the way they have been coached. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's an awesome uh, um, group out there but read, uh, led by Celia Slater, who really tackles a lot of this called True North Sports. And she does a lot with uh, something called Camp Elevate and everything. And she's someone that is really tackling this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it's awesome to see coaches who are older school coaches or even the newer school coaches who are afraid of all this start to realize that how important all of this is um, and really dive into it. And, and shockingly enough, all of a sudden, one, they have more joy um, in their field, in their job. And two, like they're building better relationships with their players. And then guess what ends up happening a lot of times after that? Like it's not about the results, but you start to see some consistency in performance with these coaches' teams. So, Well, I, I think for us, for both Aaron and I, and we've talked about this separately, that um, 
you know, realizing one, this is a massive part of the game, but two, um, Tiff, you sort of mentioned it of having that willingness or wanting to connect with people. Um, and, you know, this is a very appropriate place, I guess, for the word empathy of understanding, you know, mm -hmm. truly where they're coming from and what their experiences mm -hmm. are and um, how their day is going and, and, and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I would agree with you that if someone is not, um, you know, of that mindset that this, you know, coaching in general, doesn't matter the sport, uh, is not the right line of work, <laughs> you know, for them. Mm -hmm. Um, because right. you, know, you mentioned before, uh, most of what we do, you know, uh, people go to, you know, therapists or, or counselors or whatever. A lot of what we're doing is counseling through sport, um, to be quite yeah. honest. And Absolutely. the things players share with all of us is incredible when you've created an environment where they feel that they can be vulnerable, where they feel they can be, mm -hmm. safe, you know, where they can share something that's really bothering them and that, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I always tell my players, I, I, I don't know if I'll have the answer, but I'm okay. always willing to listen to what you have to say and to know that, you know, if you've asked me to keep something confidential, I'm going to honor your confidentiality. If you've asked me to, um, you, know, you know, just, hey, coach, I just need you to listen. I'll just listen, mm -hmm. whatever yep. it might be. Um, so I, I guess I, we had mentioned about players and, you know, two or three things they could do in their preparation. For mm -hmm. a coach who isn't trained in something of understanding the psychosocial, mm -hmm. what are two or three takeaways that they could put in their back pocket that they could actually employ at their next match, training session, whatever it might be, that might be slightly different and kind of start to move them in a direction where they begin to understand these things at least just a little bit better? just talk to your players about maybe non-soccer stuff initially. Um, I think Becky Burley down at the University of Florida does it best. Like she, and she has a large staff, but she's still, it's so important that they meet with their players. And Aaron, I think you do this too. Like you're, you're, you know, so-called having a touch point with each player every week. And it could be three minutes, it could be five minutes. It might be one of those half hours or hours that are exhausting and draining, but so worth it where they know you care about them beyond soccer. Um, and that, and that is so crucial that you see them first and foremost as a human. Now they're not going to like the accountability, but you also got to hold them accountable. You can't be a pushover. They want to know that you love them no matter what, no matter what they do in performance world, but they also want to have standards and accountability. They don't want you to be a pushover. Um, but they also would need to have some connection with you. They need that, um, because that's going to help them perform better because there's a trust. There's an understanding. Um, they know that you value them. This isn't about respect. Like respect is like low level for me. Like respect, I mean, for crying out loud, I could respect Hitler as a leader. I mean, that's horrible. And people always are shocked when I say that. I think he's deplorable, despicable, and I'll never understand and value. So is it about my respect for you? Or is it the fact that I've taken time to understand and value you as a human being? Um, I think that's so crucial. And again, this is a people business. You should want to know. And you need to reveal a little bit about yourself as a, as a per person too. Like you can choose how vulnerable you are as a coach. But if they can relate to you and they feel safe with you and, and sometimes the safety comes from you revealing some information about yourself, um, that goes a long, long way. Um, I think being able to also have conversations on the field where you are allowing them to tell you what they think and feel with, yes, we're judging them because we're always judging, but you're, you're, you want to know so you and so you can help them and so you can ask more questions and so you can help them. Um, I think us saying, well, I'm not making a judgment. Of course, we're making judgments. We make judgments all the time. We can't stop that. But what we do with the judgment can be an and and not a but. 
And so I think that's another thing for coaches. I think also the third maybe is just start this writing thing. Doesn't cost them any time. Um, it's valuable. Like even at the top of those journals, you can say, was I, were you mainly in red, blue, or green? And then you can put all the reds together and you can start to see themes and patterns. Um, you as a coach should be journaling and then you can put together all your red, blue, greens and say, what is my red triggers? When, when, when do I go off in red? And what happens to my coaching when I'm off in the red zone? Um, so I think those are things that they can do that are pretty benign, simple, don't cost money, don't even really cost a ton of time. Um, and so, and, and everyone has access to those three things. Mm -hmm. That reflection piece is, uh, it's massive. And mm -hmm. um, there's a, a, another podcast that I listen to. Um, the, the name of the person, his name is uh, Ryan Flaherty. He works for mm -hmm. Nike. And he yep. talks about having a, uh, a notebook or, you know, just something to journal in on his bed, uh, nightstand right by his bed um, and just writing down, um, you know, not necessarily recapping his day, but talking about mm -hmm. how he felt in different moments of his day and, you know, things that may have triggered him to be elevated. And it goes back to your point, Tiff, about, you know, these different zones we sort of go in and out mm -hmm. of throughout the day. Um, mm -hmm. It's really fascinating. And when mm -hmm. you're able then to raise your level of awareness mm -hmm. of what triggers you in those moments, you know, was I tired? Was I hungry? Was I, mm -hmm. you know, feeling anxious, stressed, whatever. That is why I reacted the way I did. Um, mm -hmm. I think our level of, like I said, self-awareness as a person, I mean, just, it shoots up significantly. Yep. And, um, you know, that in turn then, presumably would allow us to be better performers, coaching, playing, whatever it might be. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but that obviously comes with time, but it first piece is the awareness piece. So absolutely. That's my armchair psychologist. <laughs> that, that was my was, I just defended it. So. Very, very, very well done. Very well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good lap. Uh, I think um, what, what's the old say, I don't know who said it, but the, the players or the employees or whatever won't care until they know how much you care. I mean, yep. Uh, who said that? Like Abraham Lincoln or something like that? I'm not sure. Probably. I mean, it's been recorded now 8,000 <laughs> yeah. times. You could say Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no. yeah, I mean, yeah, I did it. So Jason just defended his dissertation and I just coined <laughs> one of the greatest phrases of all time. But I, but that, that does the bedrock because that's why we do this. And that's why I joined on with Jason however long ago, because I felt like there is a space because there's so many great people out there, coaches doing podcasts on how to play a four, four, two, or how to train your team mm -hmm. from a physiological standpoint. But, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted people to, to be able to be vulnerable about what, drives relationships and how do we drive relationships and how can we gain that trust to to allow those players to fulfill because we're just training and jason said earlier we're training these people these young people through soccer mm -hmm. to be great people yeah we're just well right we're, yeah we're mm -hmm. just using that commonality of soccer because mm -hmm. we all love it but we're mm -hmm. learning these life lessons and, and now more than ever, because when you talk about, um, talk about the cell phone and how it's changed, how things are done because we don't have to think anymore. It's mm -hmm. also changed 
that information, the, the instantaneous information has changed how people look to leaders. And right. it's not the hierarchy style. Mm-hmm. It's more, I don't know, I don't know, I'd read a book about it, calling it be called network leadership style, but I'm sure there's other ways so to the, say it. So the, S, so the S on the disc we didn't talk about, that's the steadiness, the loyalty, the calm, the patient person, but it also is the feeler. And a lot of times people see that as weak or soft. And I'm finding that the best leaders on a team now are your S's. Um, they're not going to be the ones that get up and rail you. They're not the ones that berate you or call you out in front of a group, but because they have spent so much time building one-on-one relationships, they can walk up to almost anyone, put their arm around someone and have such a great impact because they have built that relationship and they're not just a hammer. And so I, I, I get frustrated because coaches will ask me, well, I'm a really high S, like, can I be a good coach? I'm like, are you freaking kidding? Absolutely. And we are not just in that D hierarchical, let me tell you, and I'm, you're going to do what I say, um, which there's a time and place for, and, and, and that's not necessarily a bad style. It's just, I'm finding that where we thought were weak people, they're not weak at all. They're the feelers. Like they feel and they relate and they can connect and they sometimes can pull things out of people that no one else can, or that that player even knew they had in them. So. Uh, I'm an S. I, I don't know how <laughs> high or low. Uh. <laughs> Jason's like, I'm that person. I'm totally that person. I'm the best. <laughs> Where I fall in the, uh, yeah. the, the verticality, verticalness, yeah. whatever the word is of, uh, of the S. But, uh, yeah. oh, I totally probably, probably an SC because his hair's always so perfect. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on now. Come on yeah, now. The, the, the C's are the perfectionist black and white rules followers. Uh, God love them. Always so, perfectly yeah, groomed. Nice high school graduation that, picture, Aaron. Oh, I will yeah. see that. <laughs> that, that hair is looking pretty C-like, Aaron. Yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. I haven't combed mine all day today. So. <laughs> you are looking very high, Aaron. Very I was, high. I was, I was still waking up, pulling it out from last night, and then watching the game over again. <laughs> good, Aaron. Healthy, very healthy. Yes. Good. Yes. Yeah. After I watched the Premier League games. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so, Tiff, we like to ask uh, all of our guests. Um, you know, you have a significant soccer football background. Um, is there a, a, a club or a team that you've always supported, and uh, if so, why? And what drew you to uh, support that club or team? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I tend to support the clubs I'm being paid to support. Um, just kidding. Great answer. Great answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm at the point in my career now, which is I'm very blessed that I can choose to work with whom I want to work with. And specifically, I'm not going to work with someone who doesn't have like a philosophy like Aaron has. Um, where it's people first and um, and obviously have great energy and, and want to learn and care about this stuff. So I, I don't know if I can say exactly team. I will tell you one thing, though, and this is going to probably piss off some soccer folks. I think the best um, youth sport um, development model in our country is ice hockey. And so I think if people want to kind of take a page out of what USA ice hockey is doing across the board in terms of parent coach development and the way that they are engaging players, um, and how they've integrated that right off the bat, they're teaching how rep- repetition is fun um, and why and ingraining that really early on and how they go about doing it on such a small piece of ice because sometimes they have four teams on one sheet of ice and how do you do that? Um, I think they're doing it the best, if I had to say, across the board. So mm, That's interesting. I, yeah. I've actually seen, uh, scrolling through uh, soccer Twitter, 
of USA ice hockey um, come up from time to time as a, um, mm-hmm. you know, just because there's so many issues within youth soccer here in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's come up from time to time as a possible model to replicate. That, that's interesting you said that. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing and what they're doing and great people and um, and they're in it for the right reasons. I, I, I'm Like Aaron said, there is a hierarchy in soccer in this country and you go into USA Ice Hockey and they don't care if you've been coaching a day or you've been coaching on the national level. If you care about kids and you care about development and all that, they treat you like you've been doing it for a thousand years um, and they can learn from anybody and that's how they treat you is, is you know, just because you're coaching for a day doesn't mean that you can't teach. Um, so it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Tiff Jones, if uh, people want to connect with you that have listened to this podcast and follow along with the work you're doing, how can they connect with you? Sure. They can go to my website, um, xfactorperformance.com, um, or they can go to at Dr. Tiff Jones for my Twitter and my Instagram. And that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tiff, really appreciate you got, uh, coming on the show. And um, Aaron, thank you for connecting all of us. Uh, just a, a really insightful and, and powerful chat. And um, I, I want to go take the, the disc uh, assessment. <laughs> I've done it before. It's been a while. Uh, okay. I, I would want to do it again just to see where well, I'll fall. hook you up. I'll hook you up. Okay, cool. Free plugs, right. free plugs for athlete assessment. <laughs> yeah that's right that's right they're they're awesome people so i would give them free yeah. plugs all the time yeah ditto bo hanson and liz and they're amazing absolutely so. well aaron i feel like i'm ready to put my boots on go uh start to train um what an amazing guest to have in Dr. Tiff Jones. And uh, a couple of things really stood out to me, um, you know, in terms of the, the psycho, psychosocial piece of what we do as coaches. And that uh, something that I wrote down, excellence is in your control in helping our players get in that mindset that they can achieve that. And that our job or our goal really as coaches is to to help them get there and to help them seek that excellence that they're they're probably striving for um so many good nuggets in this episode and i hope coaches uh and, and players for that matter uh had their notebook out and <clears throat> jotted down you know a few different things that the tip said throughout the episode yeah, of course, because that's one of the biggest things she said you can do is journal. <laughs> you take notes down, write it down. So Which you did there. Yeah, yeah, I do. And I, I, you know, there's so much. Gosh, we could have talked for another hour on just so many. We we didn't even get to hit every subject that we could have talked about. But you know, it's such a it's so it's so important to me and and you and us and and one of the reasons why we do this and and to have people to that are trained in this that are that are professionals at this like social aspect of it and and that can help us as coaches and help the players to control our emotions and I think that's one of the biggest things that that she teaches is to control your emotions because thinking controls emotions and how do we not allow all this these thoughts in our head to take us to a place that we don't want to go we need it we need our mind to be clear and focused and and connected with what the tasks that we're doing at hand and I think that's something that is so important that 
a player obviously can use on the field and us as coaches, we can do that too. So we're thinking with a clear mind when we're trying to instruct in training, when we're trying to figure out how to encourage, to instruct, um, to motivate in, in matches as well. Well, something that we talk about often on this show is just the, the significance and the importance of relationships with our players and truly understanding them as people and what drives them, what are they passionate about, um, being able to listen and have empathy for whatever a student might be going through you know, at the time and, uh, or uh, an athlete might be going through at the time. Um, you know, it, it's a skill. And for us, even if coaches that might be listening to this say, you know what, I, I'm not necessarily born with that. I think it's something that they can acquire and keep in the, the toolbox, so to speak, of something they can go back to from time to time. And exactly what you said, Aaron, we don't have to be experts in it. That's why, you know, great folks like Tiffany and, and other people, um, you know, in the, in the sports psychology world do what they do. They're there to be a resource for us. But I think for us as coaches, we have to have some level of understanding and training because that at least allows you to recognize when those things are happening. You might not know how to handle it per se, but at least you have the, uh, the, the awareness to understand that it's going on. Then it comes down to that human and person to person interaction of what you do in that moment or, you know, how you handle a situation. And to tie this all together, it, it's that preparation piece, you know, for a training session, for a match, but it's also the reflection piece. And I like that we both, you know, we kind of hit it from opposite ends because you were talking about, um, you know, the, the, the spring match that you had uh, last evening, but also from my vantage point of the pre preparation piece and how does that all tie together, um, you know, really for the complete picture. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's all about learning and growing and evolving and in at this time in this era of student athlete or just athlete the the relationship side becomes far far more valuable than it ever has been for whatever reason I mean maybe it's just humanity or humanity I mean and we all want to be connected and we talked about it you know I the players won't care until they know how much you care and I think that's an old adage that evidently I coined, which is fine. I'll take it. Um, that, uh, that, that we can all, we can all grow, learn and evolve to, to do. I told a player recently that um, I, I said something to the effect of that the give a darn here uh, and where I'm at in my current situation is really high. And that person responded and said, you know, what, what do you mean by that? And basically I just came back and said, people here care a lot about you as a person, secondarily, you as a student athlete. And so, um, you know, it, it's about the people, right? And it's about making that connection with them as people. And, um, you know, even on our uh, most difficult of days and where we might be stressed or tired or whatever state we're in, there still is that level of care for the person. And I think that has to lead what we do as coaches and help guide what we do. And um, it can be exhausting, you know, and I, I say that from my own experience, but 
very much worth it if you're trying to create a culture within a program, within a club, within a team, high school team, a college team, you know, a youth team, whatever it might be, very much worth it in terms of shaping that culture that you want and players want to play in and be a part of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's all about relationships. Yeah. So our thanks to Dr. Tiff Jones for coming on this episode of the On the Touchline podcast and links to uh, how to connect with Tiff and her website uh, and also her Twitter bio and uh, her information. Be sure that you give her a follow um, because she is really fantastic in in what she does. Um, Aaron, before we close up shop, if people want to follow you and connect with what you're doing at Ohio University, how can they do that on social media? It's at Ohio soccer coach and Aaron is active on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at soccer coach JB on the same platforms. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This has been the latest episode of the on the touchline podcast. I'm Jason Broadwater and I'm Aaron Rogers. I sound like a smoker every time I laugh. So <laughs> I sound like an, an 80 year old woman smoker. Reminds me of my aunt, my one aunt uh, as a kid. She would laugh and it would sound just like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, too, many, too many cigs, burning them up too much. All right. Too many heaters on the sideline last night. <laughs> <laughs> too many heaters.